Hi, this is Angel with Mindfulness Inspiration with a dose of shenanigans. Today I have a special guest. His name is Cam Knight. He is a coach, writer, and author of, best, of several best-selling books in the area of mental performance, such as memory, concentration, and reading. He is also known for bringing fresh ideas, um, solutions, and insights that are rare that are a rare departure from traditional ideas that have been repeated for decades. So I would like to thank you so much for coming and joining me and having a chat with me today. How are you? I'm doing good, Angel. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. So as I said, you're a writer and a coach and an author. Um, what did you do before you yeah. set off on that journey? Okay. So in my prior life, I was an accountant and computer programmer. I was a fairly successful accountant. I really enjoyed the number side of things and the analytical side of things. And when I was in school, I really enjoyed programming. Do you remember those like those huge Texas instrument calculators? Yes. That we use in math class? Well, uh, many of those calculators allowed you to write code. And so I would write code that would give me most of the answers to my exams. And it was kind of interesting because going through the motion of writing the code to run formulas um, to, you know, spit out answers helped me understand the information better. And so when I graduated, I was also using my programming skills at work as well. So I was an accountant slash computer programmer. That is awesome. Those are some great skills. Um, but how did you lead into becoming a coach and a writer? Well, when I was in the corporate world, I just, I remember growing up, the message I kept receiving was, it's important to do well in school. So then when you graduate, you can have a good job. And I put a lot of effort in, you know, studying and doing well in school. And as, although I didn't do as well as I think I could have done or I wish I had done, you know, I did well enough to land a good job in the corporate world and I was doing the typical nine to five thing. Then at a certain point, I realized there was more that I wanted to do. I felt like the nine to five kind of really constricted me, especially in terms of wanting to be able to travel. So I started thinking about other avenues or opportunities and the, the thought of having my own business always kept coming up because it was kind of talked about a lot. You know, when you have your own business, your, your income potential and the opportunities are unlimited and there's a lot more freedom and things of that nature. Though I dab dabbled in a few businesses, but I feel like my own business may have been too much of an endeavor at that time especially with my mindset and thinking. And, and so, you know, at another point, I started thinking about writing. And the writing part was really interesting because once I got to a certain age, I just had this compulsion to write a book. And I don't know where this need and desire came from, but it was very overpowering. In fact, at the time, I didn't feel like I uh, should be a writer because I was never good at writing. I never liked writing. And in fact, I downright sucked at writing. But as I mentioned, it was kind of an overpowering urge to do it that I feel like many people at a certain point in their adult have. 
And so I followed it. And in the beginning, my writing wasn't very good. Actually, it was pretty terrible, but it was something I just stuck with. And here I am having written nearly a dozen books. Working in corporate or working at just a regular job for someone else, that seems to never make people happy. And it always goes back to like that feeling that you have inside, like I need more, I need to do something else. So I can definitely yeah. understand that personally. And I've definitely heard that from several people that they've always just had a feeling they you know loved something else and they've always had this urge to do something more with their lives yeah. and yeah, so and I think go ahead no go ahead I'm sorry I was gonna say I think we um like my experience I think people get kind of conditioned into thinking this is like the ultimate thing to shoot for because when you have a good job every and make decent money everything will take care of itself and, you know, it's part of the equation, but then there's other parts of ourselves that are left feeling empty or not fulfilled that a corporate or nine to five job just can't fill. And, but at the same time, I feel it is an important step in the journey. I don't think people should just avoid it right off the bat and do something else. I mean, they can, but I think there are certain things that, um, certain experiences and things that we learn that come from corporate America that is extremely transferable. And so I don't necessarily think it was a bad uh, decision of going in there. It did help me develop a lot of organization skills and discipline and being able to be structured with my time, which as I mentioned, can be transferred. Right, do you think that it has anything to do with like the American dream you know like what we're taught to grow up and we're taught to go to school and learn this information and then get a job and then get married you know to like live a structured life according to what they believe is the typical you know the typical road to happiness do you think that could be part of the problem I think so because I remember when I was younger um, that's what I was feeling like was missing in my life. It was because I was still, I wasn't working and I didn't have a job and I wasn't making money. And so however I was feeling um, like, you know, uh, wanting more, because when I was in school or even prior to going into college, um, there was this feeling of like emptiness or not enough. And the thing that kept coming up was, oh, it's because, you don't have this American dream. And so then I started chasing this American dream and I got the American dream and it wasn't quite as I, as I was led to believe it would be like. Now, granted, it's much better than the alternative. It's much better than not having an education or uh, a, a job and not making enough money or striving to make ends meet. Obviously, if you're gonna choose between the two, you know, the corporate nine to five is a much better alternative, but it's still not the best option. And I feel like this alternative has been presented as the American dream, the thing to strive for and to shoot for. Yeah, so I I agree. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. And um, yeah, and so um, going back to, you mentioned education and you mentioned your 
um, your accounting career, but what led you to specialize in memory? Like, did you have a better memory than most people? And you're like, it's something you, you know, special, something that you're um, gifted in. Yeah, I wouldn't say I was gifted in it, but I do remember at, after my first job out of college, my first job out of college, I got laid off very quickly within a few months. It was when the tech bubble burst and you know all the tech companies were going under and I was working for a tech company and I got laid off. And then I remember because the economy wasn't doing well at that time, it was very difficult for me to find the next job. I think I went through over 10, I interviewed with over 10 to 15 companies and some of these companies, I had several rounds of interviews. And it was just kind of a brutal process, you know, getting ready every morning, uh, wearing a suit and tie to go in for an uh, interview, preparing what I was going to say, putting on my best self and all of that. And then I finally got a job. And it wasn't something that <clears throat> I felt like I was a little overqualified for it, but I took it anyways, just so I could have it. And although I felt like overqualified, I still didn't feel secure in my position. You know, given all the trouble I went through to get the job, <clears throat> I felt like at any moment it could be pulled uh, out from under me. So I wanted to do something to make myself more valuable in the corporate world. So I decided to sit for the CPA exam. Now, I don't know if you know, but at the time, the CPA exam was considered to be one of the most difficult certification exams. It had a pass rate of only 15% on the first try. So I thought it might be worth my time to spend some time learning about memory and uh, learning techniques, thinking or reasoning that the time I spent up front could save me time in the long run. And it was actually a good decision because I learned a lot of cool techniques and systems to help me memorize and organize information. And the thing about the CPA is that there's not just the breadth of knowledge, but the depth of knowledge that makes it so challenging. And with the techniques I learned, it really helped me organize information in a way that, um, that helped me retain it and regurgitate it back. And I almost passed the exam on my first try. I passed three out of the four parts and the fourth part I only missed by 2%. And so that got me thinking, you know, this intelligence thing is a bit overrated. It, I used to think intelligence was something that you either had or didn't. And if you didn't, it would severely affect your life and your success in life. And because I felt like I didn't have it, I naturally, my belief was that there was a certain level of success that I just could never achieve. But then through this experience, I realized that if you use the right techniques or learn the right systems, you can operate just as well as a people we call genius. It's just that the geniuses seem to have figured it out on their own or their brains just naturally work that way. But if we apply the same things, we can do as well. And so I just started exploring in that direction. And it was just a big rabbit hole of all this information that you know, that inherently I was interested in and drawn to. I think that's amazing that you, you learned that along the journey of, you know, accounting. And um, I understand what you're saying, like about the um, exam, because I took a few accounting classes 
in college, but I just mm -hmm. didn't pursue the degree. I decided to go another route, but um, I understand. And it is like a lot of memorization. And so I guess if you, you're good at math, which I'm not actually good at math, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, it, it is like, if you remember how to do the techniques, um, do the problems, then Formulas. it is easier. Yes. It's yeah. a lot easier when you remember that. Um, and that's a part of visualization, which we'll get into um, part of your techniques that you recommend in your book. Um, your book is called, well, one of your several books is called mm -hmm. Memory. And you wrote, um, you wrote something, I want to read it. Um, you say, if you are present, I'm sorry, if you present information in ways the brain is built to take in, you will increase your chance of remembering it. If you don't present information in such ways, more than likely it will be lost and forgotten. So can you talk about how information can be presented in order to remember it? Yes, definitely. So contrary to popular misconception, um, our brain isn't this large processing unit that just absorbs information. This is what I used to think. But what I learned is that the brain is a collection of parts, and each part is designed to take in, process, and store information a certain way. So if we can present information in ways that the brain is built to take in and store, then you'll have a higher chances of retaining that information. Now, if you don't present information in such ways and just think just because information is important and valuable that you'll remember it, more than likely you'll forget. So a, a great example I can give you is the way that our brain works is all of our thoughts, ideas, and memories are all linked together. Uh, our, our thoughts and memories are not floating aimlessly in our head, but they're linked together like the roots of redwood trees. So if we can present information where the brain can make links or we can help our brain make links to other information, then we'll have a lot more anchor to secure that information and we'll remember it. But if we don't present information that way, then more than likely it'll be forgotten. So that's one aspect of presenting information that the brain likes. You know, another deals with repetition. So anytime a memory is formed, grooves or tracks are created in the brain. And you can think of these grooves or tracks like footprints or breadcrumbs that lead to a specific memory. The more that a thought or idea is repeated, the deeper these grooves and tracks get, making it easier for the brain to find that piece of information. Now, it's important to understand the those grooves or tracks, they're not deepened by how important or valuable or obvious information is. They're deepened solely through the act of repetition. The more that we repeat a thought or idea, the deeper those grooves or tracks will get, making it easier for us to remember that information. So these are, this is kind of what I'm talking about. If we work in line within the brain's um, mechanical limits, then we are going to increase our chances of remembering. But if we don't work in line with it, or we don't even know what those uh, limits are or how each part likes to receive information, then we, are not able to present information in the ways that it's going to be the most optimal. Right. I think that um, that's awesome in discovering, um, you know, which technique actually works for you is, is also an interesting journey. In your book, you, um, you discuss 10 great techniques to improve the memory, and you mentioned some repetition, retrieval, visualization, and several others. 
out of all the techniques, which do you find that people say is the most helpful? And uh, well, we'll get, I was gonna ask you if you can talk about how to do this technique, whichever yeah. one. Yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, I present 10 main techniques and as you had mentioned, some of them involve repetition, retrieval, visualization, others are associations, stories, um, taking action and taking notes. Uh, the one that across the board that students really enjoy is visualization. So visualization is the act of creating a mental image. It is creating a picture, scene, or a process in your mind of information you want to remember. So you know what a dog looks like, right, Angel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you were to imagine the color yellow uh, and imagine a yellow dog, you'd be visualizing more or less. And visualization, visualization works so well because um, for humans, vision is our dominant sense. For sharks, it's smell. And for dolphins, it's hearing. But we humans remember pictures, places, and faces far better than any other type of information. In fact, 50% of the brain's processing power is used to process visual information. And we remember over 50% of the things that we see versus the things that we read or hear, which only has about a 20% retention rate. So seeing goes a long way in helping us remember. And what's great about visualization is that it can help us see information. And the more and more or less the way to do that is pretty much to close your eyes and visually see most anything, um, visually see the information that you want to retain and recall for later. And I can go over a few quick examples if you like of how this can be applied. Yes, I would love to hear it. Yeah, so uh, an example that I really like starting with is usually grocery lists because all of us have to do it. So if I wanted to remember a list, let's say I'm driving home from work and I got a reminder in my head that to pick up the groceries. So I could go about this a few different ways. You know, I could visualize each item stacked on top of each other. I might imagine uh, an apple stacked on top of a banana and then a brick of cheese on top of the apple and a carton of milk on top of that. Or I might anima animate the image. So I might see a banana wobbling on a table and hitting an apple, the apple rolling and hitting a brick of cheese, the brick of cheese sliding into the carton of milk, the carton of milk spilling over onto a loaf of bread and so on. But what I like to do, which is really helpful, is I close my eyes and I imagine myself at the store pushing the cart to all the items that I want to buy and then grabbing the item, the exact name, brand, and size and putting it in the cart. And this is really, a, really helpful because when I'm actually at the store, the visual sequence will help me navigate to all the items that I want to buy. It's the power of, of our vision to have us act out the behaviors that we see. So this is just a one quick dirty example, but we can use visualization in all sorts of ways. And that's because since we're dealing with images and mental movies, the possibilities are endless. You know, for example, if I wanted to, if I was in biology class and I was studying cell mitosis, how a cell divides um, into two unique and distinct cells, I can actually close my eyes and visualize the entire process from the nu nucleus dissolving 
the DNA replicating, and then the chrome, and then, and then then it forming into chromosomes, and the chromosomes lining up. And I can actually, if I create that sequence in my mind's eye, uh, not only will going through the act of creating the sequence help me remember it, but anytime I need to recall the details, I can just go back to that sequence and pick out the, the information that I need from it. And as I mentioned, this can be done with so many, so much types of information. It can be done for people at work. Uh, anytime we start a new job or learning new instructions, well, close your eyes and visualize yourself doing the instructions just as you were given, following it from step one, two, and three. And because it has so many different uses and because it's like so easy, and in some ways it's kind of fun to close your eyes and just like imagine information that, you know, people have really raved about this technique. Yes, um, thank you for sharing that. I think those are great tips, um, especially like the grocery list and just, you know, for, for moms, you know, for, yeah. you know, moms or dads, but like, I feel like as a mom, you know, I can speak from my experience, but we juggle so much, like throughout the day, I have like a billion things to do. And I do like, I have a bad memory. And I think if I do that, like visualize the grocery list, because sometimes it's so crazy, Kim, that I'll forget the grocery list, you know, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to, you know, just, you know, wing it at the grocery store, and then I end up forgetting something. So I think to just take a minute and just visualize what I need. And just to, yeah. I think it's, you know, living in the present too. So it's like mindfulness and living in the present. Exactly. Yeah, I like that technique. I think that would help in a lot of different areas, as you were saying, um, you know, for work in a lot of different um, things that people do. I think that's great. Yeah. And if I can just add to that, and this technique really works well on the fly, because like you said, you're very busy. And I'm sure sometimes like random reminders will pop up in your head of you need to go do something. And you may not be in a position to write it down or put it in your calendar. You just need the ability to be able to remember it. And in that moment, you can quickly visualize yourself doing that. So an example I give in the book is, let's say you're driving um, to drop off your kids at school and a reminder pops up to uh, go to the dry cleaners to pick up the laundry from the dry cleaners. So you're in the car, you're driving, and you don't really have time to put this reminder in your phone or anything else. What you can do is quickly imagine yourself dropping the kids off and then driving straight to the cleaners and picking up the laundry. And you don't necessarily have to close your eyes. You can just quickly imagine that sequence. And it only takes a few seconds where it's not going to take away your focus from what you're doing, but it'll give you this extra um, hook or cue of this reminder that'll help you remember it later. I like that tip. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And well, speaking about children, um, you also mentioned in your book, you had a childhood friend who had an exceptional, exceptional memory, but when he read books, his mind was racing and he couldn't remember what he read. Um, when I was little, that was a problem for me also. Um, so what are some tips that you could give parents or teachers to help children to focus more? Yeah. So one of the things, another thing I talk about is that um, attention is really key for memory. In order to remember something, you have to receive the information. And in order to have received it, intention must be on it. 
So the mind cannot store what it does not receive. Now on the surface, this is obvious. You know, of course I need to pay attention to be able to remember. But you know, attention is not easy to do. There's some challenges to it. And the two main reasons why attention can be difficult is one, we have a lot of activity inside our mind and body. So we have thoughts running in and out and we have mental images flashing back and forth via daydreams and other mental movies. And then we also have a lot of emotions, sensations coursing through us. And all of this activity competes with the outside world for our attention. Now, this is one reason why attention is challenging. Another reason is that, as I mentioned, the way our mind is built, all of our thoughts, ideas, and memories are linked together. And what that means is anytime you have a thought or idea, it'll trigger a whole host of other thoughts and ideas. And that'll trigger a whole host of other thoughts and ideas. And before you know it, your mind is drifted. So a person can be paying attention to sentence one of what someone is saying or what they're reading, but missing sentences two, three, and four because their mind is still on sentence one. So this also poses an inherent challenge. So it's really important for parents to understand that there's a lot of activity inside of a child's mind and body that they don't have control over that's going to prevent them from being able to focus. So especially for a child, it's not just a matter of willpower, but, you know, managing this activity. Now, when it comes to concentration, um, one of the things I say is that it's not easy to develop. In fact, I equate it to sedating a wild animal or uh, taming a wild beast. In fact, I wrote a book on the topic, and it's one of my deepest and longest works. But I can still give a couple quick suggestions, especially with kids that could help them to be better focused. And one of the best suggestions for children who are old enough to take notes is to take notes. Studies after studies show that people who take notes not only understand the information better, but remember it longer, even if they never look at those notes. And that's because in order to take notes, you have to know what to write. And in order to know what to write, you have to be paying attention. So the simple act of having a pen in hand or pencil in hand ready to write down information naturally disengages all that activity in, the, in a child's mind and body and helps them be more attentive. Now, this may not work for all children because, you know, some people just aren't at a point to be able to take notes or fast enough um, as fast as a speaker speaks. So I'll offer two other suggestions. One is to get children into the habit of repeating information. So if you're teaching them something, have them repeat it back to you. If you're talking to them, have them repeat that back to you. If you're giving them instructions, have them repeat that back to you. And it goes back to the same principles with note-taking. In order for them to repeat something, they need to, have, uh, they need to know what to repeat. And in order to know what to repeat, they need to have heard it. And if a child or even a person can just get into the habit of repeating things, over time, naturally, they're just gonna be more attentive to what they're receiving. But the most effective way to improve focus in a child is to ask questions. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but there's a mechanism in our mind that is designed to seek answers anytime a question is asked. It doesn't matter if the question is asked by you or someone else, anytime a question is posed, a mechanism is triggered in the mind to start seeking answers. 
And oftentimes the mind will start uh, thinking about the answers and bringing it to your awareness, or the mind will become focused on the person delivering the information to see what the answer is. So if we can ask questions of the child, it doesn't matter if they can give us the answer. What matters is that we pose that question because it'll be, make them more attentive to at least be open to what the answer might be. And that can be done many ways. Like before we're teaching a lesson to a child, we can just ask them a couple of questions about the topic. And again, it doesn't matter if the child knows the answers. All that matters is that we disengage all this other extraneous activity in the child's mind so they can be more open to receiving the communication that we want to impart on them. Yes, I think those are great tips um, for parents and especially teachers because um, I feel like the school system forces children to learn the same way, although all children yeah. don't learn the same way. And, right. you know, it can leave some children behind. So I think, you know, taking those tips and making sure that, you know, children are doing those things, you know, taking notes and repeating and asking questions, um, that will definitely help them to remember the information better. And, you know, me as a, a home, I homeschool my children. So, um, those are definitely tips that I will keep in mind when school starts yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, and you can have them ask questions um, about the material, maybe like, how will this material be helpful to you? You know, um, why is it this way? You can have them do it or you can ask them yourself. So as I mentioned, it doesn't matter who's asking the question or what the question is or if they can even answer the question. It's just the fact that the question is being asked that really opens a person's awareness to receive information. Okay, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And um, your other book, uh, one of your other books is called Speed Reading. And that is something that I've always wanted to learn. Um, but um, what tips can you offer to become a faster reader? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting about speed reading because when I wrote that book, it wasn't, I was writing that book more to kind of fill in my mental performance library because I was, you know, I was teaching about concentration and memory and mind mapping. And I thought speed reading would be a good segue. So it wasn't a topic that I had inherent interest in. But once I published and <clears throat> and um, started, you know, put the book on sale, it was my most popular book, knock on wood. And so um, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not just you that is interested, but there's definitely a strong interest by people in wanting to become better readers. And if I can just kind of give a quick summary of speed reading, you know, speed reading is not just about reading fast, but also comprehending what you read and also remembering what you read. So in my book, you know, I talk about what to do before you read and the things to do to while you're reading, as well as things you need to do after reading. And the techniques you, you use while reading are the techniques that will actually accelerate your speed. And there's three main techniques I talk about. One is called space reading, another is called chunking, and the last is reducing subvocalization. And I'll go over each of these uh, really quickly. So space reading is kind of interesting. It's not looking at the words when you're reading, but the spaces in between the words. And it kind of sounds crazy. Like, how could looking at spaces help me read? Well, it's extremely helpful because 
Anytime we look at a word, the focus of our eyes narrows in on that word and we're not able to pick up the other words. But when we look at the spaces in between, our, the focus of our eyes doesn't narrow in. And so our eyes naturally pick up more words to the left and right automatically and instantaneously. So we don't have to think about it. All we have to do is look at the space. So with space reading, what you want to do is look at um, spaces between every three to four words and just go from one space to the next in quick succession. And, and the mind and eyes will naturally absorb that information. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing it, but no, you are, you are, because yeah. I am. Yes, I, I, you are, because I'm looking at a paper and I'm doing what you're, you're instructing. So yes, <laughs> and you're able to pick it up, right? Yes, and you're not even trying. All you're doing is looking at the space, and your mind just sees the words. Yes, yes, it yeah. it does work. Yeah, yeah. So all you have to do is uh, uh um, bounce your eyes from a space between every three to four words, and you'll be able to, to pick up the text. And what I like about this technique is that the reading and the processing happen simultaneously. So normally when we're reading, we look at a word and then we think about the meaning. But with space reading, you look at the space and the mind just picks up the word and the meaning instantaneously. So we can move to the text extremely fast. Now, not, for, most people, this technique works, but for some people, it just doesn't. So the alternative I give is a traditional technique called chunking. Chunking, it's kind of like space reading, uh, but you're still looking at the words. But instead of looking at one word at a time, you're trying to grab groups of words. So instead of reading you know, uh, one word and moving to the next and to the next, um, you open up your visual awareness and try to grab, you know, three to four words at a time and move and move forward like that. And the key to this technique is that you want to grab uh, chunks that are phrases as opposed to just random three to four words. So phrases are a meaningful unit in a sentence. So a sentence could have, you know, three or four phrases that make up that sentence. Um, for example, I'm looking at a sentence right now. It's, it says, a variation is to visualize the items rolling into and striking each other. So the phrases would be, a variation is to visualize the items rolling into and striking. And if we can pick up um, text in, in chunks of phrases, uh, we can drastically increase our speed because we're no longer reading one uh, word or letter at a time. So hopefully that made sense as well. Yes, it does. I, I like the spacing technique though. Okay. I, I think that it's something I've, I've never heard before and it seems to work yeah. for me. I'm glad you say that because it's a technique I've developed. So it kind of affirms me. <laughs> and I feel like it actually works because there's no thinking about phrases or anything. All you gotta do is look at spaces. And if for your listeners, if they are having a hard time um, you know, they can go to my book and it actually breaks down the process very easily for them to be able to pick it up. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. I, I will definitely link, um, your information in all your books, um, you know, um, on, on my website and everything. Um, can we yeah. talk about your other book, Mind Mapping? 
Yeah, um, yeah, we can definitely. And I just want to, if we can, uh, talk about the third technique too. Oh, I'm sorry. Easy. See, that's my memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and then the third thing is the sub-vocalization. And this is also a standard method that's been taught um, in speed reading for a long time. And it's just the act of reducing that voice in your head that is talking out every word as you read. That's because um, there's a mechanical limit to how fast we can talk. The average person can talk about two to, can uh, speak about two to 300 words a minute. However, our mind and eyes have the ability to process uh, information much faster than that. And so by talking out or hearing the voice of the word in our head, forces our mind to read at a pace that is much slower than its total potential. So if we can stop vocalizing, which again involves moving our lips to the words, hearing the voice in our head, or speaking it out in our head, and just try to move through the text um, as fast as we can, we'll be able to pick up text much faster. Now, this one is a little bit harder to do because more or less what the technique involves is to stop thinking. And as we all know, to stop thinking is a very difficult thing to do. But if we put in an effort to kind of reduce the subvocalization or not put so much time in formulating uh, the vocalization, then we can drastically increase our speed. Yes, that, that technique would take some practice to do because like you were saying, I like I am used to, you know, vocalizing the text that I'm reading now. So I, I do think that would be a process for me to learn how yeah. to do. Which one do yeah. you do? Which technique works for you? Okay, so when it comes to the, between the three technique, uh, between space reading and chunking, you wanna pick between one of the two. You can't really do both. You can't look at spaces and chunk at the same time. And I love space reading. Like it just works for me, especially given the mind that you and I have, where every time we have a thought or idea, it triggers a whole host of thoughts, ideas, and we get lost in, uh, we, our mind just drifts very quickly. I find that space reading has kept me from drifting as much. Though I do combine space reading with reducing subvocalization. So when I'm space reading, I'm trying not to subvocalize. And if I read fast enough, faster than my ability to, to speak, I could still pick up the text, understand what it's saying, and still not vocalize. Though it does take a little bit of practice, but it's not as much as people would think. And it can be extremely effective at more or less increasing speed by three to five times a person's current speed. I think that's amazing um, and very helpful. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. And um, in your other book, Mind Mapping, um, yeah. it is this Mind Mapping is, um, it says, is the in standard for enhancing your study, learning, note taking, brainstorming, writing, planning, goal setting, and more. And time mm. management may be, well, it's a big problem for me and it may be a big problem for some parents because, you know, we have to juggle a lot. What can help with this um, time management in order to improve productivity throughout the day? Yeah, so time, mind mapping is a very unique technique. It's for, for those who don't know, it veers from the traditional form of note-taking. 
So mind mapping is a note-taking that's very different from the traditional method of writing line by line, starting from top to the bottom. With mind mapping, you actually start in the center and you branch outward like a tree or a spider web. And the reason mind mapping is so effective is it's because it mimics the structure of the brain. Again, as I mentioned, thoughts and ideas in our head are not um, floating around aimlessly, but they're linked together like the roots of redwood trees. And if you look at the picture of the mind map, I don't know if you're seeing it, uh, you'll notice that information is connected and related to each other. So ideas are always um, added or linked to other ideas, which mimics our brain. So it not only helps us understand information better, but also helps us remember that information better. And as you had mentioned, mind mapping is not just for note-taking, but it can use, be used for in all sorts of areas, for writing, decision-making, research, for planning, for goal-setting, for a wide range of information that we come across. And a great technique also is for time management. So a person can go about a few different ways in using mind mapping. So they could create a, a, a map for everything that they need to do during the week. So in the center, they might put down, um, you know, the date of the week and then create a branch for each day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And within each branch, create sub-branches of the things that they need to get done. And then within each sub-branches, um, all the different items that are, that are going to be required to get each of those things done. And they can go as deep as they want, breaking that task down into all its parts with sub-branches and labeling them with when they can, when to do them and, um, and how, you know, like who they might need help from and all of that. And at the end of it all, you'll have this map that creates a very detailed visual of your week that it's hard, that it's easy to see in the big picture, but then at the same time, you can drill down to the individual tasks and items as well. Yes, I think that would be very helpful, um, you know, to stay organized and on yeah. track, you know, especially with children. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, and what's great about mind mapping over other systems of organization is that it allows you to see the big picture in a single glance, but at the same time drill down um, without having to put in a lot of effort. Like if we put everything on a calendar, you know, we have to look at everything day by day to see all the items and we might miss certain items. And what's more is on a calendar, all we can do is put one item. We can't really break it down to all the different steps that are gonna be involved and the people that we may need to interact with to get it done or the things we may need. But with the mind map, as I mentioned, you can see everything you know, on a page, all the days and all the activities, but then drill down with sub-branches of um, each step that's gonna be required to get that thing done. The thing about mind mapping is it's hard to kind of talk about it in a podcast. You kind of have to see a visual of it for you to understand what I'm saying. So if somebody can just you know, Google mind maps, um, then they'll know, they'll have a better idea of what I'm talking about when I say adding a branch for each day and then adding sub-branches for each task and sub-branches for each steps. Yes, I'll, um, I'll 
post a picture with the podcast. Um, so I'll put, I'll put a picture up so that it can give them a visual of um, yeah. what you're referring to. And thank you for sharing those tips. And um, I love it. I think it's, it's helpful, um, you know, for everyday situations. Um, all of your books are very helpful. You're very thorough. And um, I appreciate you sharing the techniques. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, glad you like them. I spent a lot of time on developing and refining and writing about it. So it's always uh, appreciated when somebody can find value in it. Yeah, I can definitely tell you spent a lot of time, um, you know, on a lot of research. You have a lot of experience in the area. So they're, you know, very good books and you're very thorough. So I, you know, they're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And so we're coming toward the end of the, our time together. Um, my podcast is called Mindfulness Inspiration with a Dose of Shenanigans. And so toward the end of the podcast, I like to add some shenanigans just okay. to um, get to know you a bit more outside your passion. Um, and so today I have shenanigans, PG rated, truth or dare. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to choose a truth or a dare? So if I do a dare, like, am I going to have to act out that dare, like, on this podcast, or? Um, or yes, and just picture? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, you know, whichever one would work for the audio. Um, okay. I'll, which I'll one go are you thinking of? I'll go okay. with truth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which truth um, are you thinking, or would you like me to read them again? Uh, no, I, you had said there was one about if I can go back in any time, where would I go? Yeah. And I thought about that question quite a lot. I, I really like that question because there's so many moments in my history that we don't know a lot about or that are still kind of a mystery. And, you know, I would really love to explore how the dinosaurs went extinct. You know, we think it might have been because of asteroids and there was an asteroid that hit uh, near the Yucatan Peninsula. And there's just so much like data about how big the asteroid was and how fast it took to, to you know, the impact to spread around the world and all of that. But then at the same time, I'd also like to know about uh, humans during their hunter-gatherer days. There's also a lot of theories on how humans lived and what they did and how we evolved. And it was kind of interesting, but for a long time, humanoids walked on, hum, Homo sapiens walked on the earth with other humanoid species like Neanderthals and, and um, Homo erectus. And it would also be cool to see what that was like, you know, like multiple intelligent species roaming the earth at the same time. And I've always been a fan of cosmology, and I would love to see how the Big Bang started and if that's really a viable theory or if that's really the way it, it, it started. And maybe I would like to have a conversation with Einstein because he brought a lot of revolution and thinking to, to humanity, and we really owe him for a lot of the progression in technology, him and Michael Faraday. So... That would be something I would want to do is revisit the past, but I'm not quite sure where I would visit. I think I would definitely like to explore um, 
human civilization as we were evolving from our hominoid ancestors. I don't know if I got a little too nerdy with this answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It, all those would be really interesting. It's just, I would want to be like, you know how in movies you see like you, they go back in, in the past and they're invisible. I would want to be invisible and see what they're doing. I wouldn't want them to see me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Same thing. Like I wouldn't want to be in the wild with uh, my humanoid ancestors and get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, but I would love to be invisible and just like observe that whole thing that happened. Yes, no, I agree with you. I think those would be amazing experiences to see um, what actually happened and, you know, to, you know, go back to, you know, current time and say, I know what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's no longer a mystery. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess I, I can do a, a quick one uh, for truth. Um, well, I'll, I'll do the same when you did a time, where would I go back in time? Um, I would probably go back to like the 60s or so, 50s, 60s. Okay. And I would try to tell some of the leaders to, uh, you know, that's hard to say and hard to do because yeah. I think they did so well in uh, establishing how things are today, but I would yeah. tell them some things to try to push them in a different direction or to help them to continue because I, I know, and I don't want to get too deep in this, but like Martin Luther King, at one point he was discouraged because he's like, I'm helping my people and they don't even like me, you know, they were rejecting his ideas and things like that. So I would I guess if anything, without ruining the future, <laughs> ruining the future yeah. for them, I would just encourage them more to like keep doing what you're doing. It's going to pay off, but do it more, like do more of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I think that's what I would probably do. Wow. That's actually a really good answer as well. And you know what? I didn't know that MLK was discouraged because he got resistance from his own people. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, and you know, the thing between him and Mark, uh, Malcolm X, you know, for yeah. a while they were, you know, not the best of friends, but towards the end they were, but um, a lot of people just rejected him and he had a, a difficult time and it was a lot. Of, I mean, I feel like with a lot of leaders, there's always judgment with, you know, yeah. people judge what they're doing and how they're doing it, what they're saying. And, you know, saying he's using religion or whatever it is, you know, they, yeah. people are, can be pretty harsh and pretty hard on people. And um, I think at one point he did take it a little hard and he almost like Personally. wanted to give up. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm going to expand on what you're saying, but because it's true, when I was writing as an author, I had a lot of fear of judgment and finally I got over it. And, you know, people really like my stuff. But then when you actually start gaining traction and you have a lot of people liking it, there are always somebody, and it's not one person, but lots of people who will beat you down and question your ideas. And, and I get that, you know, my speed reading book recently hit bestseller in Amazon UK, Canada, as well as Amazon US. In fact, That's right amazing. now on Amazon. Yeah, right now on Amazon US, it's the top 2000 selling book, which is 
quite nice because Amazon has over 10 million books. <clears throat> and, you know, I get some really not so nice reviews from people really like shutting down my, the information I'm offering and, and saying how it's not going to work and, and things like that. And I take it personally, <laughs> you know, like, or I was until I started to realize this is just the process. Um, and, and not only was I taking it personally, I was getting reactive, you know, I would like lash out or react towards a comment. And, but, you know, it's just, it's just the process of when you get a lot of following, especially a large enough one, there are people who maybe it's out of jealousy, maybe it's out of the fact that they couldn't do it themselves that want to shut you down and they will use some not so nice means of doing it. I think that you could actually use that to your benefit though, that the negative comments, because you could take what they're saying and then you can create a volume two of the book they're complaining about. And so in volume, volume two, you add maybe some of the details that they're discussing. If they say, well, you're not talking about this or you're not talking about that, then you can create a different way. And these are the people who are, you know, buying your books, they're going to buy it, yeah. they're going to purchase it. And it's just a way for you to make it better. So that's what I'm learning too, because um, I, I do take criticism pretty personal, you know, I, yeah. I was taking it hard, but just reading different people's stories and seeing the things they go through and um, taking different courses, I'm learning that the, the negative things that happen, I can actually turn it around and make it positive. So instead of taking this criticism, like they're trying to offend me or whatever it is, yeah. I can take it like, okay, well, what can I make of this? How can yeah. I make it better? How can I create something beautiful from this? bad comment or whatever it is, you know, and just create something beautiful from a, a bad situation. Yeah, I like what you said, because, you know, in the beginning, my initial reaction was reactivity, and one, taking it personally, and then reacting on that feeling of being hurt or rejected or shut out. And I have taken that stance as well, <clears throat> where I take people's comments and the great thing about self-publishing is that you don't need to create a new edition. You could just go into the book and make the changes you need or add the, the things the person is saying is missing. And I've done that. And through them, that's how this book has started doing so well. And so, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's like, um, if someone is saying it's not good or doesn't like it, it's a good opportunity for you to improve it and make it better. And through their comments, I have made it better. Though, you know, in the beginning, like Martin Luther King, you know, it can be can be challenging and demotivating to to receive that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it can weigh on you. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's about it. not not yeah, not allowing it to. And I think that's what I would go back and say. And I think that would have like changing that mindset and pushing you know, just telling them to change, help to change everyone else's mindset, because it would definitely change th how things are today. And that's a whole nother podcast, like what I think about yeah. society and how people are and how history has created how people are, it, you know, that that's 
something else maybe I'll discuss another time but you know I just think uh, everything happens in the past and has you know something to do with you know our present moment today yeah yeah no I completely agree well that was a really good uh question to go down the rabbit hole (laughs) well thank you and I'm talking about your books congratulations on being the you know bestseller on the bestsellers list in many different countries I think that is absolutely awesome your books are wonderful um i did read memory and i will read um the others because i actually purchased the others so i will you you know yes i did i did i purchased all of them (laughs) so i will read those um especially the um the speed reading and the mind mapping i think all of them um are beneficial for me as a parent and you know for other parents because you know like i was saying we go through so much and we um, multitask. And so you provide mm-hmm. valuable information for the everyday life to help us to um, get more done and to be more effective and, you know, help our children to be the same. So I think your books are awesome. And they can be found, as you said, on um, Amazon. And your website is mindlily.com, right? Yep. Mindlily, M-I-N-D-L-I-L-Y.com. Okay. And um, do you have any other social media information or anything else you would like to share? Yes. If people would like to reach out to me personally, they can email me at cam, K-A-M, at mindlily.com. As far as social media, I do have social media, but I'm not very active on it. I know it's not a good thing as an author to not be active on social media. I know I'm losing probably quite a few potential fans or people who can discover my work. But uh, for me personally, social media could be another rabbit hole that can distract me from the things I want to do, like write and teach. And so um, I have kind of moved away from social media for the time being, just so I'm not distracted by it. I agree. It is a distraction. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. And it's, uh, I think it's a generational thing too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm not sure how old you are, but like when I grew up in the eighties, nineties, you know, we didn't have all this. It was just, yeah. you know, it was different. So it, it, it still takes, like, I, you know, I had Facebook in my space, but this still takes some getting used to, you know, yeah. and I'm, it I'm takes not- time surprisingly. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people who are doing well in social media have a team that do it for them mm-hmm. so they can focus on the content and the presentation and the speaking, whereas they have people who manage the social media. And I just haven't got to that point, though, if I were to work on the social media aspect, it, it just takes a lot of time. And I one of the things I teach in my concentration book is sometimes out of sight is out of mind. So if we can just cut out certain things that are distracting for us and not even think about them, then we don't have to resist and fight them to focus on the things that we want to be focusing on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Cam, for talking to me. I enjoyed our chat today. 
and um, please visit his website, mindlily.com. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your stories and providing valuable techniques that will help us to manage our lives. I really appreciate yep, it. Was a, it was a pleasure. I was glad to be here and share, and I'm glad, and I hope people can find um, some value in it. Thank you. It, it's definitely valuable. Well, you take care, Cam. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. You too.